Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. Welcome to another episode of Better Words. Hello. I'm Caitlin. I feel like we never say that. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Caitlin. <laughs> Hi. Um, yeah, what a week that we've both been having quite, we're going into a busy sort of period. You're about to start Jersey Boys. And by the time this goes out, our like October wrap up on Substack will be out, in which I mentioned that, like, I mean, I actually also joke that all of October led to 1989 Taylor's version um which is not I mean it is true but it's not really true because all of October for me has been like leading up to these like two weeks of tech week and show week and everything for my first show in five years um where I'm on stage which is exciting um whereas while I was excited for 1989 Taylor's version um about half an hour before the album came out on Friday I kind of like properly remembered and started getting really excited (laughs) even though I knew it had been coming I don't know did you enjoy it yeah yeah I did it was really fun we I had a listening party um in the office uh which we also did for speak now Taylor's version because that came out after we had like all gone through buying tickets and stuff so I guess maybe for (laughs) almost the first time we'd like really identified who the Swifties were in the office. And so we've been uh, bonded together ever since um, and listened to 1989 Taylor's version, like in a meeting room, all doing our emails and everything still That's so cute. Um, on Friday afternoon, which was very fun. I know, like, it's kind of funny, but like, cause we're all like singing along and chatting and everything, but still at the end of it, I was like, Oh, I've, you know, briefed in like three of these things and answered lots of emails and like you know you do all this other stuff as well so it was quite fun yeah it's good productive work environment (laughs) yeah it's very exciting um have you listened to it no I haven't um because we know that I'm not like the biggest Swifty I really support all my Swifty friends obviously um but you know Caitlin that I was much more excited for the 27th of October being the day that we get the Good Witch Deluxe Edition because, you know, actually I pinpointed this. Um, I'm pretty sure it was either, it was one of our first ever sub stacks. It was either like January or February where you mentioned that you had been listening to Body Better by Maisie Peters and then we were going to go see Ed Sheeran in March and you were like, you should listen to Maisie because we're going to the opening act. And now Maisie Peters is like my entire personality. So um, thanks for that. (laughs) I can't wait to see my Spotify wrapped because it's just going to be such a transformation. Like start of the year, Maisie who? And now I've already seen one show of hers live, um, which I haven't, I haven't um, mentioned this in like the sub stack or anything. So I can just stay it here, but I've actually got a second show that I'm going to see with my best friend, Alicia, who is also a massive Swifty and Maisie Peters fan. Um, and we're going to see yeah. that 
She's week. just like me, but English. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, and so, um, yeah, we are going to see her perform um, at Wembley, not the Wembley Stadium, but one of the smaller arenas. Um, and we're going down to London for that. So we'll be going like tomorrow when I publish this episode, we'll be going tomorrow. But yeah, I was very excited for the fact that Maisie's announced she sort of did a surprise, like the deluxe edition's coming with, uh, I think like four or five extra songs. I can't count. Um, and between seeing her in Nottingham at this venue called Rock City, which is quite iconic, um, it's like a really small venue, so it was a quite. It was the smallest gig I'd ever been to. I've never really been to a gig before. Like everything that I've seen is like a stadium sort of show, no? Like yeah. or at the theater. How many people fit in there? I'm not sure. According to according to like you know the top sort of answer result on Google, the capacity of Rock City um, in Nottingham is two thousand. Oh, okay. Um, which oh yeah, there Maisie was an has outgrown in yeah which Maisie has outgrown in the UK but I saw her a solo show after we'd seen her open for Ed back in March at the Metro or something like that in um Sydney and I think that holds about a thousand or just over a thousand people um but of course that's in Australia which is quite different when she came on stage she said that her sister went to Nottingham Trent University and that she had been to gigs at Rock City and stuff so I wonder if it was more of like a it's an yeah, iconic she venue wanted to play there. yeah um mm. so yeah actually that makes sense that it was a bigger thing because there is an upstairs bit that I sort of didn't see because we were downstairs didn't quite clock yeah um but yeah it was it felt still that's not that big though no it's not um but she didn't play any new songs and I've sort of been following um the tour a bit and some nights she has played new songs so one of her new songs Yoko references the Beatles she played that for the first time in Liverpool um so I'm hoping though that this week (laughs) when we see her in Wembley we get some of the new songs live as well um and probably totally behind the times here and anyone who listens to triple j which is decidedly not me will probably know about greta ray but greta ray was opening for her um and she describes herself as like the aussie version of Maisie peters which is really cute (laughs) and they're like best friends um So, yeah, now I have a new artist to enjoy as well. Um, But it's really funny. I was sending her stuff to Alicia, who you also know, Caitlin, um, getting lots of shout outs on this episode. And as I was sending them to her, I was like, you love Genevieve Novak's books. And I feel like Greta Ray's songs are like the soundtrack to a Genevieve Novak book, either No Hard Feelings or Crushing. (laughs) Like it just, it's that vibe. Um, So, yeah kind of merging all those sort of worlds there but yeah I've been listening to um those new songs from Maisie on repeat oh she's just so talented and yeah we're gonna be like so annoying in you know five ten years when she's like massive and we'll be like we were we're there. proud of like, you but also we saw her we open for Edgy yeah like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so um, yeah that was really yeah. that was that was we've kind of got sidetracked here but yeah you've been listening to 1989 Taylor's version I've been listening to the Good Witch Deluxe 
um, we'll obviously share those in our I have stuff. been listening to that as well. <laughs> yeah. But yes. Of course you have, because yeah. we've had multiple discussions referencing parts of the new song. So, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, just genius work uh, from both of those women. And we've also been reading a lot and um, I've been working a lot in we said last in the last episode that I have a job in a bookshop I'm getting much more um, sort of used to it now getting into the swing of things I'm sure you can guess our top selling well I think it's our top selling book this week has been Britney Spears the woman in me Um, that's been a really popular one I have to tell you on the podcast as well before we get to the books because this is a bookish related thing obviously I had the best day in the shop the other day when a little girl came in yeah. and she was like, well, she was too shy to ask me, but her mum was like, have you got Hermione Granger's wand? And I was like, we have a Harry Potter section. Let me just take you over to it. And we were looking and I was like, oh, it looks like we've only got Harry's wand. I'm so sorry. We can order you one in. And she was like, no, she wants it for Halloween, which is obviously gone by the time we're releasing this episode. And then I sort of moved and then could sort of see the box behind Harry's box. I just thought it was all Harry's and it was Hermione's and I like pulled it yeah. out and I was like, oh, we do have it. I'm so sorry. And her little face just like lit up. She was so excited. Aww. And I was like, oh my God, this is the best day of my life. I love this job. Ah! So yeah, that was really cute. And yeah, she's going to dress up so as Hermione. Cute. So who is the best character? So yeah, this is so cute. Of course. <laughs> oh, oh, that's so nice. Yeah, it oh, was so sweet. Helping children's dreams come true. <laughs> In some small way, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, maybe we should actually talk to the book about the books now, 10 minutes in to this intro. Sorry, everyone, for those ramblings. Yeah. But I will also link our latest Substack wrap-up if you want to kind of read more, I'm going to be talking yeah. about the woman if you in like, me. If you like that rambling, yeah. there's more of there's it. There's more where, of it. Where this has come from. Linked in the show notes. Um, and obviously we put that out every single month. Um, and it's always just a little bit more than just books, which we enjoy. Um, but yeah, I'm going to yeah. be... All the other things we're watching and listening to and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But Exciting. Yeah. On to book club. Book club. Yay. So this is a book that we have been meaning to read for ages. And I swear, like the last maybe two seasons, we've said we should read this book for book club because we've been trying to read some Aussie YA that we've sort of missed in the past. Yeah, you're right. I think this has been on our list for book clubs for ages. And I'm um, both kind of ashamed that it's taken us this long, but also some ways glad that we've actually had the perfect excuse by having Alice on the podcast finally to really dive in and do Lorinda for book club. Yes, which is published as Lucy and Lynn over here in, well, I think that's the US version um, because very annoyingly at one part it said I called 911 and I was like, oh, it should be triple zero. Oh, no. Even though it's still set in Australia. Yeah. I don't think it's like... Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's just it's just one of those things. We know that this is both of our pet peeves. Yeah, it's just one of those... I mean, yeah, we, we know that this <laughs> happens. Um, but it's just one of those things, I suppose... I don't know. And again, like, some of those things are getting 
better. Like more recently, mm. this book was published about ten years ago. Um, that and I don't know when it was published in the US or the UK where those things might have been changed, but yeah, like now I don't know. You would hope that either they don't change it or maybe get less specific and just say like I called emergency services or yeah. something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, you know, what's interesting that I didn't realise until I was actually trying to find a link for the British slash American version to share with my book club over here because I was like, this book is so great. Mm. You need to read it. Um, and I saw some reviews and that's when I realised that I think it's actually set in like 1996-ish and I had no idea. Because it just seems so relevant to now. Um, Are you realizing yeah, this? Yeah, I don't now? think I gave any thought. Yeah, I don't think I gave any thought mm. to when it was set um, at all. I think I just read it knowing it was published in 2014 or 2013, I think. And I think I just read it with that in mind that also I graduated high school in 2013. Yeah. And so I. I don't know. I guess I just didn't think about it at all. But now I'm thinking about it and I'm like, they oh, pulled out specific does examples. Like have a phone? So, or... yeah. So they pull out a specific example of when one character who's quite well off pulls out a phone and Lucy, who's our main character, says, I'd only ever seen businessmen um, with these phones. And you oh, could yeah. see the antenna. And then the other one that they pull out was actually not in my copy of the book because, again, change for a US audience. But they mention or that it alludes to like the Port Arthur massacre by saying our new prime minister, which would have been John Howard, and gun control um, (laughs) clearly didn't want that in this American version. Um, But, yeah, it's (laughs) funny. I had just sort of read that passage when I was reading these reviews and I was like, hang on. That wasn't in my version. And then I was like, maybe they took it out for the English audience. And then later on, I got to the 911 bit and I was like, oh, right. (laughs) No, it's American. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's so interesting. I think definitely I brushed over that reference. Um, But maybe because when we grew up, we had like five different prime ministers. So. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I definitely, the phone one, I think I like, like, acknowledge but didn't just think didn't think that much Mm. of it um it in terms of timing but i think that really just goes to show that this book does not feel dated at all it feels so contemporary in so many ways oh okay so So contemporary (laughs) and like and we have done book clubs on ya novels published about 10 years ago before as well and discussed how things have changed a lot so given the fact that it's also supposed to be set even earlier you know, an additional 10 15 years before that um yeah that's crazy i know wow. it's so i can okay. this should be on like every i feel service. kind of silly for not realizing that. i know no don't feel silly i wouldn't i don't think i would have clocked it if i hadn't seen this review from someone um because yeah. it definitely doesn't feel like that i mean they're playing spice girls at the social but like we all play spice girls now so but like they all, yeah. you know the fact that they're playing wannabe like of course we would play that means nothing that That played when i was in high school exactly like you would play that now yeah because everyone knows it so yeah it it is a book that really sort of transcends wherever it's set and i think that speaks a lot to the fact that the themes that are explored 
unfortunately will probably resonate with a lot of people still um so we should just yeah. give you a little overview if um unlike us you know i mean if you've read if you haven't read the book yet um but you will i'm sure have seen this book around in australia it's got such a striking cover um and it is such a highly recommended highly praised book as it should be I also think it needs to be on the syllabus. Like, it's so good mm. um, if it's not already, obviously, because we're a bit late to the party. But Lorinda is an exclusive girls' school. At the secret core is the cabinet, a trio of girls who wield power over their classmates and some of their teachers. Entering the world of wealth and secrets is Lucy Lamb, a scholarship girl with sharp eyes and a shaky sense of self. As she watches the cabinet at work and is courted by them, can Lucy stay true to herself as she finds her way in this new world of privilege and opportunity? It's described as a stunning and important novel, which I definitely agree with, (laughs) covering important Mm -hmm. topics such as race, class and abuse of power in an exclusive secondary school in Melbourne. Faced with pressures of fitting in, Lucy must reconcile ideas about culture, self, and attitude to carve out her identity in this hostile environment. So, yeah, clearly, from what we've sort of said already, we both loved it. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, absolutely did. Um, When we were kind of getting on to record this, I had thought that I really wanted to ask you what you thought, Michelle, because you went to an all-girls high school. Yeah, I did. And I did not. So while I still went to, you know, a pretty privileged, like, Catholic high school, I, like, you know, again, neither of us went to high school in the city either, which may be, you know, slightly different. We went to high school in a regional area. My old girl school was not anywhere like this sort of privilege. Like, no. it, yeah, mm. it really was not. And... I mean, I definitely agree with sort of some of the themes of at one point towards the end, one of the male teachers talks about the fact that like boys that he went to school with would sort of have fights and sort of forget about things and girls can be a little bit more sneaky, I guess. I mean, in some ways, I think we're sort of trying to now, obviously, again, this book was published like 10 years ago, you know, we're trying to sort of get past that narrative of, you know, girls are really sneaky in how they bully, but in some ways they are, like it is more emotional. Yeah, Um, we just operate differently. Yeah, we operate differently in our social circles. Um, It is sort of more, for lack of a better word, mind games sometimes. And there's certainly Mm. like power structures that operate within any social circle. Um, I would say that the whole idea of like this disrespect for teachers and stuff like that, certainly not my experience at school. And again, maybe that's because the school I went to was so small and definitely like not as privileged, not anywhere near as privileged. So yeah, Yeah. it was, it's certainly not my experience, but it's also what I imagine those elite like Melbourne schools to be like. Yeah, I guess, yeah, it didn't seem unrealistic in that way to me, even though, again, yeah, it's not how I experienced um, those kinds of power dynamics and things like that in high school. But the uh, things that were incredibly realistic, that sort of just really struck me. Uh, Yes, a bit of, like, any teenage girl with, like, any 
male teacher that seems you know young at all yes <laughs> um, I think everyone has had those experiences yeah. um and even like some of the comments um and internal thoughts and everything that Lucy's having that's like you know your uniform is so new and it gives mm. you away and and in a lot of cases people have that when they're in like year seven or year eight whatever the first year of high school is and suddenly you get there and all of the older girls like their uniforms just fit them better and they've rolled them and they're wearing their socks differently or like all these like tiny little nuanced things that you just look back at photos of yourself you know on your first day of high school and you're like oh my god my skirt is like below my knees disgusting um (laughs) you know I think there are all of these things about being a teenage girl in a school you know with everyone else like oh there's just so many little tiny things like that but I think too obviously the bigger themes are around this idea of access to these privileged areas and the idea Mm, that Lucy has a hard time really explaining this to her parents what she starts to see you know is that it's not good enough for her to just do well at school they want her to be not her sorry the school wants her to be grateful for this opportunity that they've given her and yeah. do all this extracurricular and stuff. to be engaged in the school community yeah. and do all the extracurriculars and be part of the club and and yeah and be so grateful and there is um this element throughout the whole novel that because Lucy is the first scholarship student um on this new kind of program that they've started she won the scholarship based on her exam results and a written essay um and there's a few different instances where they ask her to like speak at assemblies or at um conferences and things like this and this um poster child kind of yeah thing keeps coming up and she doesn't know what to do with that and how to present herself or if she should present herself it's the idea of like the good immigrant the grateful immigrant yeah um those sorts of things is something exactly and molding perfectly to what what they believe a Lorinda girl should be um which is like the the girls in the cabinet yeah and also um I really I think the scenes that sort of stay with me most are then the scenes where we understand more about the girls in the cabinet and their mothers Mm. so their mothers were Lorinda girls as well and they're all friends from school and there's this scene where they ask Lucy to teach them they actually ask Lucy's mum but Lucy does it to teach them how to make rice paper rolls and it's very much this idea that we sort of has been much more discourse about obviously since the time when this novel was published of just appropriating bits of culture of trying to learn bits Mm. of culture without really listening to people and really like actually caring and then maybe saying some really insensitive things and I will say too like there are some racial slurs that get used in this as well to show the sorts of I guess environment that Lucy is in and there's this whole idea I guess she's always aware that she has to be grateful and they could turn on her at any time that's that kind of underlying idea of like you don't belong here we're letting you in therefore yeah you do what we say 
And yeah, and therefore be grateful and do what we're telling yeah, you to do. Yeah, and behave. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that um, was really interestingly explored where towards the end she's kind of getting sick of everything and she, like, eats lunch in the library and everyone's like, oh, they kicked her out. And it's like, no, she just left and no one's ever, like, left the group before um, or changed their mind or is has been comfortable with the, you know, so-called, like, social suicide of eating by yourself in the library. Yeah, yeah. And I definitely, like, those are the bits where you say, like, that that's definitely not what my experience of school was, you know? Like, yeah. that, that, but I can imagine, I could easily understand and picture that happening, though. Like, it all felt yeah. very real, even though that's not what my experience of, you know, a private girls' school was like. Yeah, but I could totally. certainly picture it all unfolding. And yeah, did I picture my old school uniform instead of the Lorinda one? Yeah. <laughs> Even the bit where, um, oh my God, there was a bit. Although we didn't have summer and winter uniforms, did we, blazers. Caitlin? Because um, we lived oh, well, in a Oh, no, hot not place. in Queensland. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, not in Queensland. Um, but no, there's a there was a bit. And this can't have been at Lorinda. I think it was a reference to the previous school, which I forget the name of, that um, Lucy was at with her other friends. But um, that the whole school had about 12 blazers that would be shared around if anyone needed to wear them for something in- official. Um, and that was the experience at my oh, high school. Oh, was it? There was okay, like no, mine was. Yeah, we, we didn't all have our own blazers. We all had to have our own you blazers. <laughs> and... Um... They were quite expensive and my dad bought me one in year seven that I would grow into that I never grew into. Um, so it was always like two sizes too big for me. Um, and like they were like yeah. 120 bucks. That's why he wouldn't buy me another one. And I've never been in so yeah. much trouble as when I lost my Panama hat um, and in year seven and dad had to buy me a new one because they were about 80 bucks. And then I kept that same one all the way yeah. through to grade 12 because of that. Um, but we got a new principal, like maybe when I was like in grade nine and she, um, brought in a rule that we had to wear our blazers to assembly with our formal uniforms every like Thursday. And she's like, I don't care if it's summer, you're wearing it. Um, so yeah. So yeah, it was, um, yeah. So that's probably the closest of like, I had a giant, my school jumper was a spray jacket. Um, and yeah, it was giant on me when I was in year eight and I wore it all the way through. Um, and it was probably a touch small on me by the time I was in year 12, but guess who was in year eight about a year after that? (laughs) My younger brother. And guess what he wore? My spray jacket. (laughs) Um, yeah, I think my sister got a vest at one point, which I was, uh, cause I think she must've also had a spray jacket. I don't know. But there was, like, vests and also, like, another jumper kind of that was part of the official school uniform. And I never had either of those. But my sister did because they introduced them when she still had a few years left. These, you know, these school things are crazy. And maybe this just shows how um, this book really just did make us think about our own high Mm. school experiences and felt so realistic. And we were just kind of... And we were, right and we there, were the privileged white girls sitting in the corner of the classroom there. watching it all unfold. But like we were the privileged white girls. Well, yeah, there. we were. You know? So I think it's. I can't even. We imagine, weren't as mean as the cabinet. I can't even imagine. Not that we knew each other. In no, high not school, that we but... knew each other in high school. Um, <laughs> no, I, I don't. I can't even imagine how much. Oh my this god! But we were not the cabinet. You know who we were? I'm sure you were also this character. Is was her name Katie? 
who like tries to be nice to Lucy, but then they don't really become friends yeah. and she's just kind of there. Yeah. That's, that's us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah I think that I can't even imagine like if we just resonate with a few of those little things and I can't even imagine like I can understand why this book has been such a part of Australian young adult literature since its publication Mm -hmm. because it must resonate so much with people who were coming from different backgrounds um and yeah yeah yeah. it's so incredible and actually if you have read it and you listen to our interview that's coming up with Alice now um you know there are a few bits in it where um things like the way that Lucy helps her mum and their friends with sewing tasks um and the way that she gets a skirt made for one of the cabinet girls for her birthday um, that um, Alice is going to talk about in our interview as well because it's a theme that sort of comes through in her new book which is what we're talking about in this episode so yeah if you have read it um, you'll still like get lots out of our interview with Alice as well. The themes are very similar and while Lorinda is for a young adult audience and obviously um, is so incredibly relevant and everything even now the way that a lot of similar themes are addressed for a much younger audience in her brand new book Millie Mac the Maker um is yeah interesting and I kind of I was maybe halfway through Lorinda when we interviewed Alice um and so hearing her talk about a lot of those things were yeah it was really interesting while I was like in the middle of the book Mm. and like I definitely think that she's one of the most talented writers in Australia in terms of the way she's worked across different age ranges, which we talk about um, in the book as well. And definitely like representing um, different parts of Australian life. Um, I'm glad that we finally, finally read Lorinda. (laughs) It's taken us way too too long. (laughs) It's taken us way, way too long. But as you say, it sort of worked out for the best because we have this extra sort of layer to it now and um yeah I just can't say how much I loved it it was really good I completely agree it's just phenomenal so yeah with that and with our long rambling introduction um we will let you now listen to our chat with Alice Our guest today is a best-selling author of memoirs, young adult, children's and adult fiction. She's published the memoirs Unpolished Gem and Her Father's Daughter and the essay collection Close to Home. She's also edited anthologies Growing Up Asian in Australia and My First Lesson. Her debut novel, Lorinda, won the Ethel Turner Prize in the 2016 New South Wales Premier's Literary Awards and has been adapted into a successful play. Her second novel, 100 Days, was shortlisted for the 2022 Miles Franklin Award and has been optioned for a film. She's the author of children's books, including the middle grade novel that we are talking about today, Millie Mac the Maker. And our guest also was also awarded an Order of Australia Medal for Services to Literature in 2022. So we have a lot to talk about. Welcome to the podcast today, Alice Fung. Thanks so much, Michelle and Caitlin. It's just such a pleasure to be on this podcast. Thank you so much. We clearly have so much to talk about. You're incredibly accomplished. Yeah. (laughs) And it's quite funny, actually, that like we're talking to you about 
a children's one of your children's books when you are probably best known amongst a lot of readers for your adult and young adult fiction and stuff like that so it's great to have you on the podcast with like Caitlin said we've got so much to talk about and we really want to dive into like all your writing life and stuff but we are going to start with Millie Mack of course um so could could you tell us a little bit about what inspired her story Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, I, I like talking about Millie Mack a lot because Millie Mack was based on quite a few things I did in my childhood. So um, I, I'm the child of um, immigrant parents and I grew up in a community where there were lots of working class men and women who were either into the trades or they were out workers or they worked um at restaurants so we had physical things that we traded or made um but you know at at school even if you have a school uniform there's a hierarchy so you know (laughs) a great part of not great a large part of growing up and even being a child is wanting the cool what they call swag now the cool stuff that other people have and I don't think many books explore that that much because Many books want to teach a lesson about anti-materialism and, you know, the natural world and going out. But this is a book completely rooted in the suburbs, you know, (laughs) in the inner working class suburbs of Australia. And it's about a girl who wants things. Um, And instead of, uh, you know, things magically appearing, her superpower is that she discovers she can make the things. So every single thing that Millie makes in Millie Mac the Maker is something I've either made as a child or I've made for my children myself with scraps around the house. And the purpose um, of that is kids don't need to go out to the shops to buy material. They can make stuff with things found around the house. But the other criteria I had was that, you know, in play school, you have cardboard boxes and egg cartons, and that's quite creative. I wanted them to make things that were Two, two things, beautiful and enduring, because kids are completely capable of making these things. Um, if you go to countries other than <laughs> the first world, kids are making our Happy Meal toys. Kids are embroidering clothes that uh, we wear as adults. So, you know, my grandmother's job as a four-year-old, this is a four-year-old, when British colonialism was at its peak and they really were into what they call chin- chinoiserie, was was embroidering things for the British. So kids are quite capable of making beautiful and useful things. So that's what Millie Mac is about. Yeah, it's such a, it actually is such a nice message as well. Like I know you said like some things these days are probably focused on like not wanting to consume and stuff like that, but it is a natural part of wanting to fit in and whether we like it or not, Mm. like even as adults, it is it is a natural. You you can have this mind where you're like, I don't need to buy the latest thing, but there's still part of you that's like, but I want it so bad. I want to fit in. Yeah, and even more so now because trends and things move oh, so, so quickly fast. now that I can imagine like even things that you know any of us might have you know begged our parents for in primary school or high school now I can just imagine that kids must be asking so much more frequently because Mm. everything moves so much faster as well oh that that's true Caitlin and um just a few weeks ago it was book week I think it was two months ago actually and this is a perfect example of this so I've got three children and my four-year-old the middle child I made him this great dinosaur costume out of a pillow slip and you know 
I stuffed. I can show you later if you want. And yeah. he wore it around the house and, and he was really proud of it and he was happy to wear it for book week. And then he went to kinder and all the other kids, you know, most of them had store-bought costumes from Kmart yeah. and he just wouldn't put it on. Yeah. He wouldn't get out of the car unless we took it off. So, you know, oh, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, so it's not within cycles. It's within... 15 minutes of a life. Yeah. yeah. It's so yeah. funny, isn't and, it? And it yeah. doesn't matter, yeah. like, the lessons that you want to teach them. There's still a natural part to be yeah. like, but I want to fit oh, in. Like, that is that is just oh, yeah. how we how we. And you have to yeah. be realistic about, oh, I found it. There, like, the, so that's his dining room. Oh, my God, hat, that's so, so it goes cool. Like a, incredible. Like a basketball cap. That's and then amazing. there's a table. So it's not even that, it's not that shonky looking, you know. You, oh, my you God, no, it's no, incredible. <laughs> that looks no, like... but that's the standard we're up against. Like, it's, oh my gosh, it's no, not when I was little... like a Kmart costume. <laughs> I, I remember when oh, I was little, yeah. my, one of my things that I loved was just a Dorothy the Dinosaur, just a tail like that, but Dorothy the Dinosaur, oh, that you just, like, oh, had, so had a Dorothy the Dinosaur oh. tie, it, tie it around. Michelle, I would have yeah. made you one of those. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's all we needed you back that's all we needed back in the oh. 90s. <laughs> we didn't want anything else. Yes. Oh, we didn't have book week in the 90s. I wanted a Cabbage Patch doll. Oh, yeah. Barbie. I wanted yeah. so many things. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I wanted, yeah. I really wanted a baby born. I wasn't allowed because my mum was like, oh, you've got dolls already. I wanted a baby born so oh, bad. they're different. I know. No, and they're I, different. They are, yes. And, Thank you. oh, my you gosh. Understand. My parents got, like, a little wooden dollhouse made for me, just, like, four rooms. Oh, and, wow. like, okay. you know, it was really cool. But then I would see people's, like, you know, plasticky ones that I was like, but I want the oh, Barbie dream house. so much better. Yeah, yeah. But you know I what know we exactly used to do? I feel, like you'll appreciate, I feel like you'll appreciate <laughs> this, but what my mum used to do with me is we would do, we didn't do much crafting, but with the, with the uh, doll's house, we would, yes. like she would buy some doll's house furniture for me, but what we would do to change things up is she would get like Better Homes and Gardens magazine and we would cut out like, the, the garden <gasps> pictures and like stick oh. them to the walls to be like the windows and stuff. Oh, so yeah, beautiful. Like cute little, cute oh. little thing I remember doing as a kid. Um, but yeah, I loved the idea of like, especially when the book starts, like Millie starts having those things of like, oh, I'm just going to save this thing from the pizza box because that could be something for our project. And, you know, there's a really beautiful element in the book that you explore of the, the idea of being able to do that with, you know, your parent or your grandparent or your guardian, like the, the idea of them making being a bonding experience as well, which I really, really appreciated and, and really liked, like that it's not just going out and buying something, but you are spending this time together making together. I loved that. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, and when you go out to buy perhaps a kit where you make pom-poms or make soaps, it's finite, it's three soaps or it's one animal made of pom-poms. So it's not really a new skill. You have to buy another kit to make another project. You're not really learning a skill. You are working within the literal parameters of a box. Um, Mm. So that's... I really wanted Millie to use her creativity um, out of and her resourcefulness to invent new things out of old things. So that yeah. that was the um, heartbeat of the story. <laughs> I was going to say something yeah. that you, you mentioned just before that this is inspired very much by your own thing um, and your own experiences growing up. I did read an interview you'd done um, a few years ago, like not about this book at all, but where you talked specifically about 
the the thing that happens in this book which is where people working in factories would bring home like the labels and stuff so you could sort of make clothes and stuff that had oh, yeah, make, like the oh, labels so the fake sports girl yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. but i love like the idea of like obviously something that happens in the book is that you know millie really wants this <laughs> this really expensive thing and then you know her friends sort of see that and are like god no don't buy it like you didn't buy it did you which I just thought was so um it was such a twist because I guess reading that you you start to get you are in her mind and you're like oh gosh they're gonna say something and so it was I love that that idea of yeah like I, I don't think it's bad at all I think it was a really good message it does sort of introduce that idea that if people are making these clothes and they may not be getting paid very yeah. much but you're paying a lot for the clothes so, the so to introduce that expensive in a, thing is yeah. probably not really that special it was just the childhood world I grew up in as well I think which I guess lends it some authenticity because a lot of the happiest moments of my childhood at my friends houses was actually sitting on the floor watching uh, Vietnamese dramas and putting two buttons in a plastic bag and stapling it to a shirt that was $139 for Country Road or something. And, and it was like <laughs> oh the grandma would be doing it, me, um, you know, my brother, my best friend, her siblings. Uh, and no one saw it as child exploitation, which it probably was, to get that batch of clothing out to the, um, you know, the contractor yeah. in time you needed the whole family to help. My parents certainly yeah. didn't see it. They just thought I was spending time at my friend's house. They never demanded money for it because those yeah. people were getting exploited themselves. Yeah, that's what, that's what I so, mean, that idea yeah. that, like, when you are – it's only when you sort of get older that you realise – or, like, when you start to learn about the world and you realise how – the, the clothes don't just magically appear or the cheap oh, clothes don't. online yeah. don't just magically <laughs> appear. Like there's been no, like, they don't. and even in places like England where yeah. you think, Oh, they have like, they have minimum wage jobs and stuff. People are still getting exploited and being paid very low wages to produce stuff yeah. that make millions and millions of dollars for, you yeah. know, someone, some CEO somewhere. Think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm and sure not still just the super year. cheap fast fashion either. Yeah. Like it's everything. It's everything. Yeah, but it's I think true. I, I yeah. love the, the, the way you sort of approach that gently in the novel for a younger reader to sort of get them understanding that and to get them thinking about that. And like you said, that was just your experience. Um, and it's something that some oh, of us won't, yeah. won't like, <laughs> you know, I guess it's like kids who maybe don't grow up in rural areas and just don't think about where the food comes from. It's, it's kind of oh, like you don't think true. about where your clothes come from. Yeah. No, you don't. You never think about these yeah. things. They just, yeah. even when I was teaching at universities, um, a really smart student, a young man, um, when I explained where clo how clothes were made, he thought, oh, but I just thought they came out of a pressing machine. And he wasn't stupid because you assume a shirt might come out of a machine because everything is made by mm. machines, but no, people sew each button on and I'm the interfacing on the collars, you know, that yeah, kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. I guess even though, even when you are consuming then, you can be more conscious about your choices and like what part of the, I guess, production chain and stuff you are looking at. Because obviously like you will have to buy some things, but then you can be more informed oh, about yeah. how you buy them and stuff. Um, but I, I think something else that was really interesting to me about the book as well um something that sort of stuck out to me um there's obviously a scene at the start where Millie and her grandmother are like looking at hard rubbish and it's like their little treasure hunting activity um and part of the narrative around that we see is like this idea of like class and reusing and upcycling that sometimes 
comes across as like Millie's told she's just looking for trash and things like that. But then in other parts of society and stuff, we look at upcycling and we put a big price tag on it or it's seen as this really <laughs> like it's it, it the idea of being eco-conscious and yeah. buying things or upcycling things that are eco-friendly can also have a big consumerism price tag and stuff. And it's just really interesting. It's a privilege, isn't it, to upcycle? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, from Millie's t- two grandmothers and the different views they share mm. on, oh, on up- that yes. particular issue. Yeah. 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 yeah, I had a grandmother like Millie. Millie's who um she was very dignified as I mentioned she was embroidering by the age of four or five and and she uh we'd never go to the tip but I can imagine if we did go to the tip like some of my friends at school did to collect things you know yeah. she would make us dress up so that people would know we were donating and not taking uh and so one of Millie's grandmothers her Chinese one not her Scottish one uh is is really against picking up hard rubbish or, or doing it, you know, it it's a shameful yeah. thing she might do it but she's ashamed of it whereas Millie's other grandmother who's Scottish it's not a big deal there's not yeah. a stigma attached to it and I do think like in some ways we are sort of you know a lot of a lot of places like there's one in in our hometown where like they've turned part of the tip area into like a little shop and stuff and they make it this idea of like you can get get things and stuff and it's it's not trash yeah, the tip shop um, yeah <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. It's, and it's and it's something that has evolved as people have become more conscious of the effects of of landfill and stuff but there's still I guess yeah there's a class element there of like when you upcycle some you know antique piece of furniture versus getting something from the tip like there's still <laughs> it's it's interesting yeah. to see that with even when you think about like going to op shops and stuff like that and mm. it's like oh like to go like for fun and see what you to can find buy vintage stuff versus yeah, versus yeah. To find it stuff depends on your community how big yeah. or how small it is if it's a small community you would be so ashamed if you're wearing the, the jumper that one of your friends donated you know or if yeah. you were taking the dollhouse that someone would recognize at your school so it's really complex isn't it things like that yeah. uh, and they're yeah. no less complex just because you're a child as well yeah and and as we sort of said like the way you explore it in in the book is is really good like we're sort of picking apart these issues as adults and and talking about them but it doesn't feel yeah, like no, that when you're, like when you're reading the book it's enjoyable yes, this book is intended yeah, for a much it's, younger it's reader children, but we really but enjoyed it yeah we, we love <laughs> oh, talking about you. these things as well. um and as you say as well like the, everything that millie makes in the book readers can make as well which i love it's so fun and so interactive and i really hope a lot of people have been making the things and i I loved Millie, and I love the quote on the front of the book from Rebecca Lim. Says she's a girl for our times, and I just love that because she did kind of remind me in you know the family and like doing things and her little adventures. Um, she did kind of remind me of Millie Molly Mandy, who I loved, and I went as Book Week when I was five. Oh, My grandma made me a Millie Molly Mandy yeah. dress yeah. Um, that was like you know her candy stripe dress, and yeah, just you know those kind of classic stories I suppose that we read about like a little girl and her community and her family and I just love I loved it <laughs> oh thanks Kayla I was also incredibly lucky to be um to have Cheryl to illustrate this book and to illustrate the series because we we have very much um similar visions for 
the characters. So I never got with her and had a big long chat about this book. I just knew she would be my illustrator. I was really honoured she accepted. And she just knew what the characters would be like from reading the manuscript. And it's um, quite special that she's made this book have a sort of vintage feel to it because, you know, (laughs) some of the themes and some of the things that you do a timeless aren't they <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Well, i know i mean we've been talking about all of these experiences that we've all had and we're, yeah, you know, and we're not probably children different generations um, and our parents are as well you know even yeah, different yeah even yeah. different cultures <laughs> different states we come from there's yeah. so many universal yeah. the baby bjorn for instance <laughs> you're preferring the plastic over the wooden bespoke yeah. dollhouse and pre- children's preferences are that there's a class snobbery about it. You have to be quite yeah. privileged to be able to uh, only let your kids play with wooden toys or to shun the plastic Barbie. Whereas for some people, the twenty nine ninety five Barbie is the the annual goal to save up towards that. You know, yeah. and you keep yeah. the box and you keep the plastic cable ties. And I've still yeah. got mine. Oh, it's just not. Mine yeah. were mine were like in perfect condition. Like I I. Oh wanted do you know like i i, I would I don't never think i ever had a new barbie like i only oh, had ones you wanted that my to preserve aunt them. Had. yeah i know exactly yeah. how it feels yeah, yeah. yeah. and <laughs> i only ever i only ever got like new ones when so my dad used to have a pie van and he would go around and like oh. sell pies to people um <laughs> but when um so we have an army base in our town and yeah. every year or every couple of years um they have big army exercises like army training exercises they do them with singapore army um and every couple of years they do them with the american army and the american army are big tippers and dad's thing was he would always give me the tips and sometimes i'd be in the car like on my school holidays i'd have to spend the day in the pie van with him so some people would give tips because they knew that they like knew me and stuff um but the american Americans, oh my god, I don't even think he let me keep all the tips, but I definitely like yeah. saved enough to get like a forty dollar Barbie or something and I was just like oh, over that's the moon, so you know? Special. Like <laughs> And it's even more yeah. Michelle was your own money as well. So yeah, it was like this bought it for you. You suffered yeah. in that pie in that car. <laughs> this but is I, why yeah. I love reading so much. Yeah, like this is why I love oh. reading so much because I'd sit oh, there all day with books. my dad. Is that what you did? Oh, that's special. Did you find them? Did you think it was special just to be with your dad, even despite him selling? I got a bit sick of it, but it was special. I look back on that very, like, my dad's no longer with us, and... So it's very special, and he used to tell stories to me. Like, he would make up stories... Um, so I was never into I was never into Disney princesses. My favorite, oh, um, yes. <laughs> my, my favorite Disney film, very niche one yeah. that no one ever knows, was called Basil the Grey Mouse Detective, and it's essentially a mouse oh, yeah, version of mouse. It's a mouse version <laughs> yeah. of Sherlock Holmes. So we watched that yes, and a he's lot. Got the hat and everything. Yeah, he's got the hat, and then the <laughs> yeah. dog is like yeah. Sherlock Holmes's dog. Anyway, it's, yes. it's so great. So my dad would make up stories. I loved fairies and stuff. All that like Shirley Barber illustrated books and stuff that was I was very into that so he would make up stories about Basil the mouse detective solving crimes for the fairies in the garden and he would keep them going like all day and he'd like he'd like stop and then do like his run and then we'd drive somewhere else and he'd tell me more of the story but I also had a lot of talking like talk we had 
a lot of talking books um, and like on cassette tape <laughs> that I would listen to and stuff. So I was very, I was very entertained. Wow. But this is why people like, I'm just like, yeah, I can just sit in the car with a book because that was like my whole childhood as an only child. Was oh, just wow. like, you know, reading a book in the car and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I um, was very wow. sweet. That is so sweet. Oh, <laughs> we've sort of got we've got off track here a little bit. Um, oh, you mentioned well, the collaboration. That that's a wonderful story. Sorry. Yeah, you, I know. Yeah. But you did start talking, which so, our next yeah. question was about your collaboration um, with the illustrator. Because yeah, was your first Millie Mac is the second project with um, Cheryl, right? Yeah. So our first book was a children's picture story book called "Be Careful, Celsian." So I know Cheryl's agent, who's also a wonderful YA author named Danielle Binks, who you probably have interviewed. Oh, I love Danielle. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yep. She's so warm. And she um, just sent me an email and sent Cheryl one saying, hey, you know, you, you, you both should meet. You have some things in common. So we met many years ago before the whole COVID thing struck. And, and I really like yeah. Cheryl. Um, and then we did this book together, this children's book called Be Careful, Seo Sin. And Seo Sin actually, is, it, it's not a boy's name. It just means be careful in Chinese. But this little boy has heard it so often that he thinks that's his Chinese <laughs> name. Because when you grow up Chinese-Australian and your granny and your mum and dad are always saying Seo Sin, which means be careful to you, you think that's your name. So, yeah, it's, it's what that book <laughs> is so about. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, amazing. And so what's oh, the, so do you just sort of send over the manuscript? Because you said before you don't sit down and you didn't familiarly sit down and talk about it. You, you just trust that she's going to get the division. And... Yeah. Um, it's a very special relationship because I've done books before with illustrators. So, for example, um, I've done some middle grade books where you write the story and the um, publisher chooses your illustrator for you. And, and that's worked quite well, but nothing so special as the partnership between Sherrill and I. Um, even with the first, the picture story book. So it's, it's funny, it's a funny premise, but it's actually a book about um, parents who are overprotective of their children mm. because they, they're suffering from post-traumatic stress. So, you know, <laughs> so there's a page where his mum is worried that he'll fall and then you see a flashback to um, kids falling off the edge of a boat and his granny says yeah. he'll freeze because he's not wearing a jumper out in the footy field and there's a flashback to, like, literally people frozen <laughs> in a very yeah. terrible winter in China. And this is a picture storybook for ages four to, you know, 11. Um, and we've had a lovely response from kids. They don't... It doesn't bother them seeing <laughs> those images. Cause but you obviously you need them, the so. right person to. Kids are you do need able the right person. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. do. And we sort of understood each other so well um, that I don't need many words for her to see. You know <laughs> That's what the characters what look like. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I could have done. I actually, to be honest, I wouldn't have done the two books without this partnership with Cheryl. So it's a real partnership because I just wouldn't have been the same. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. How did it feel when you saw the like the first illustrations for Millie? Oh, I was so delighted, you know, <laughs> because Millie was exactly as I imagined. And Cheryl and I understand each other. She's Chinese-Malaysian and I'm Chinese-Cambodian. And when you grow up in a place like Australia, um, she's a bit younger than me, but not that much younger, where um, 
your images of beauty are Dolly and Girlfriend magazine and Miranda Kerr. Mm. It, it's yeah. it does something to you, you know, in, in a deeply embedded colonial. You, you just don't grow up feeling very attractive at all. So, the reason I love her illustrations so much is she does beautiful Asian characters. Even the most well-intentioned children's authors and illustrators back in the eighties and nineties, and even in the two thousands, um, always drew Asian characters in a way that they saw so the eyes were slits basically slanting mm. upwards and that is the most um obscene thing because every second day at school someone would be doing this to you and it's ching chong yeah. eyes and even recently i had a very um quite uh nationally famous illustrator whose children's book was going to be published in america and the american publishers were told her to change her asian character because the asian character had those eyes it was a cute face. It had a dot for a nose and a smiley mouth, but it had those slit eyes. Mm. Um, and she said, but I've never had a problem with it in Australia in the 20 or so years it's been in print. And that's because Asian Australians haven't had a literary voice or a you know, mm. journalistic or yeah. any voice. But when we look at it, yeah. we think, what the exactly. hell is Exactly. What crap? does that say about yeah, Australia? That's not that, that good, Asian Americans have been involved yeah. in the civil rights movement since 1960. They are a strong and powerful yeah. force. And that's why yeah. that crap has stopped in America, but it hasn't stopped yeah. here. So I had to gently explain to her that you, you can't do that. Um, it's not very nice. And she said, but how will they know that that character's Asian? And she wasn't being obtuse or difficult. Um, she yeah. just didn't, un uh, she just didn't know. She was a kind person and friend. Uh, and I said, they'll just know you, the skin colours, you know, <laughs> tan. And yeah. even if they it's don't, you've put a triangle hat on your character. Like what the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's like they'll still know it's okay i've never seen an asian with a triangle <laughs> yeah like it's my gosh it's, except it's for the peasants like yeah. in vietnam seriously yeah like it's and, and yeah. you know like yeah we grew up with that idea because of picture books and mm. stuff like that because otherwise you grow up with with ideas that are are incorrect that are so incorrect ideologies yeah oh, i know yeah. i grew up with this book called the power of one do you remember the book it's about a young south the white south Bryce african boy Courtney who, book yeah Bryce we watched Courtney. that film and yeah. it was meant to be yeah. oh moving and inspirational until i went to university and a friend said to me that film and that book is just should be burnt because what a 14 year old white boy saves the whole black South African nation. What is this? Oh, and I thought, Oh, but I found it inspiring and moving and it's not really, you know, yeah, yeah, so you're, you're being colonized yeah. by, by your literature to think yeah, that yeah. Yeah, in a certain to be way, powerful yeah. is to be a young white boy saving all these poor hearted <laughs> black masses. Like that's what it is. Gosh. Like I would never be the narrator of that book, you know. Asian girl would never save the South Africans. That that's not even within our narratives. What the? Yeah. <laughs> and like I, th yeah, I think that's the oh, thing, isn't gosh. it? It's like we do have to acknowledge that we all have biases and stuff that that we carry, no matter what. And you know, like Caitlin and I said, like the area we grew up was quite, you know, quite sheltered and I guess quite privileged in a lot of ways. But then, like, you can't rely on that then, you know, it's up to us now to be trying to read more and to be trying to unlearn a lot of those things that we grew up with. But that's also where, yeah. you know, encouraging more voices 
and more representation within you know the literary world across adult fiction children's all this sort of stuff like it is so important um but yeah it's it it makes me so excited i guess for future generations to grow up with a more diverse reading list and with more options yeah totally it it is hard as you mentioned to be an adult and to explain these things to children if you've got just a very skewered perspective of what it's like and I guess that's why in Millie Max some of the adults are not um not that nice so for example there's a teacher named Mrs Musket who um we've I'm not sure but most of us I've talked to have had an experience really bad experience in primary school with that one teacher who didn't like us and you take it really mm. personally um so Miss Musket doesn't like Rita for some reason um but she does like a, another particular girl who she finds extremely helpful you know to everyone and Mrs Musket is is a teacher who you'd consider quite enlightened she does the acknowledgement of country and so there's a scene where as an adult reader you know if if you see it from different layers you realize gosh this teacher yeah, <laughs> she's making the kids say the acknowledgement of country because she's all embracing of um, <laughs> the First Nations people, even though there are no First Nations people, as we know of at that school. Um, but she's allowing this very insidious um, and very, uh, very, uh, you know, underhanded bullying of this poor Sikh student mm-hmm. to go on only because it's a culture she doesn't understand that well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. It's even more important, I think, for all of these things to be explored and discussed in books for children and books for teenagers and in YA and everything because this oh, is when you're, you know, yeah. learning about the world yeah. and figuring all of, figuring out your own opinions and figuring out all of these things and it, it's just so important. Yeah. Oh, it's so important, Caitlin, yeah. Um, so, you know, we've mentioned that you've written across... So I don't actually think that we've interviewed someone who's written across like almost every age so range. Many different genres like we've and written, age we've, we've spoken to people who've done like YA and picture books, but you've also done like you know nonfiction and adult book. Like it's just it's amazing. But why do you think that you've been able to be, I guess, so successful in writing across all those different age ranges? Oh, I don't know, Michelle. Um, maybe because I don't have an audience. I mean, I do. Obviously, I do have an audience. I'm very lucky to have an audience, but I'm not on social media very much. So I don't think about my audience. They, they don't mean um, very much unless they write to me personally by emailing me and, mm. and send me, you know, letters and things. Otherwise, the audience um, or, or if I see them at a library visit, because every time I sit down to write a book, I there's no audience I have to please. It's just to that one yeah. person. So 100 Days was to a 16-year-old girl. Um, the, the book, the children's picture book was, was to my very anxious parents and the rebellious four-year-old that my son was becoming. And when he was learning <laughs> to walk, my mum and dad said, don't let him fall or else he'll be too scared to try again. And I thought that was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard in my life. <laughs> so it's always to an audience of one that I write. The other thing I realise, you've all been children and um, especially you can tell stories about your childhood so vividly because you don't see childhood as a very distinct and innocent and protected part of your your lifespan. It's just... Um, 
a certain segment of your life. So there's nothing special about being a child. So you don't see it in, in these adult terms. So it's very easy to go back to the person you were and remember what your thoughts were at that time without imposing yeah. uh, your opinions. Yeah. Mm, you, can just, you can just write more freely and just write the story, not if you don't have opinions yeah. it's true yeah yeah, yeah. i think yeah. people um hold a very high value on opinions but if you don't have any opinions and you just let your characters live that moment the story's more authentic we wanted to talk about lorinda but i actually just want to ask about 100 days first because it's coming out in the uk very very soon and um also the so US yeah of... yesterday yesterday yeah. came out yeah so and like I yeah, know really? a couple of booksellers oh, um here have have been reading proofs because it's going to be out soon in the UK so I hope to get a copy oh, really? um, I didn't know that I'm yeah. sorry Michelle I didn't know it was coming out in the UK no really cool. no I hang oh, on let me just let I me just know. double check what so yeah. it's coming out on the 21st of uh, sorry the 23rd of November over here and I didn't realize it was coming what? out in the US or had, had just come come out in the US oh. so do you want to tell us a little bit about that book as well because um I think some of I mean I think the majority of our listeners are in Australia but now I'm over in the UK I like to you know push some UK books as well oh of course of course Michelle so it's an um this is an interesting thing like I mentioned to you I write to an audience of one it was a 16 year old girl and it's in her voice and she gets pregnant in 1986 uh, I think um or 1987, so the same year that Labyrinth, the movie, came out with David Bowie and his lavender tights. Uh, Incredibly important. I'm sure some yes. of you have seen that movie. Yes. So, oh, you have? Excellent. So this I is have, when yeah. it's set. Uh, and it did quite well in Australia because my publishers, Black Ink, who are, are wonderful, and I've been with them for 20 years, said something that quite, um, uh, that quite you know, irked me off initially they said we're going to publish this as an adult book and I said no please don't publish it as an adult book it's a teenage voice and it's a teenage narrator and they said no it deals with adult themes pregnancy you know um, a, a parent who's a bit verbally abusive and they didn't say that but they said it was adult themes and I said but teenagers deal with adult themes but the reason yeah. they wanted to market it as an adult book I think was because I already had a young adult audience um, a, a very big and strong one I had an adult audience with my non-fiction, but I had never had a novel out for adults. So they wanted this to be my first adult novel. And as a uh, writer who, who has done quite well with YA, I thought, oh, if it comes out as an adult book, you know, people got to think it's too juvenile for adults. And I won't win any YA prizes for this one. And I reckon it's a pretty good YA book. And the yeah. year rolled by and all the YA prizes passed me by. And I was like, I told you so, publishers. Yeah. So I, I just thought, oh, that ship has sailed. But then um, the Miles Franklin nominated it, and it was um, it was the, the one of uh, I think five, the top five, <laughs> you know, that year. So yeah. I thought, oh wow, okay, I've got a Miles Franklin shortlisting. I feel quite <laughs> this is an adult. <laughs> Pretty book. happy with that. Yeah. yeah, but there is no distinction between an adult child or teenager's voice for me in my head. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, it does. Yeah. So oh, it we, does. we were talking about yeah. this, and in fact, oh, we talk about this all oh, the time. Okay. Yeah, YA is so interesting because it's not even uh, YA. People always say YA like it's a genre, yeah. but it's yeah. not. It's no, an we're age so, range. We're so it's passionate about this, and we're so passionate we about like, all the YA. <laughs> and, like, yeah. 
Yeah, and I my publishers are wonderful because they had the insight that sometimes the the author who's really attached to their work doesn't to yeah. see that it is an adult book, even though the, the um, narrator is a 16-year-old. So Well, because particular, particularly like literary fiction with a teenage main character or even a child main character, That's people true. have no problem yeah. calling That's them true. adult books. Yeah. Like Boy Swallows yeah, Universe yeah. and stuff. Yeah, like that's yeah. Kind of or All the White We yeah. Cannot See. Yeah. Or, you or know, just there the are Jones a million. Or, yeah. And yeah, hopefully, there are a million hopefully of them. The, the older teen readers who loved Lorinda would move on to 100 days anyway like the older part of your mm. of, of your readers would have been attracted to that anyway even though it's adult because I certainly I mean I, <laughs> I certainly would have as a teen reader like when I got to those older stages I would certainly like it's that crossover sort of crossover appeal yeah. I mean we still yeah. love YA obviously we, yeah. but there's yeah, something yeah. when you're 17 oh, yeah, and you're like I can read Sally books for Rudy. adults now yeah, yeah that's true <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah there is yeah. that crossover and and they were yeah. exactly right my publishers who are very wise because they've done they've been <laughs> with me for 20 years I my um teenage audience is consistent and in fact 14 year olds have come up to me as I mentioned before and said this is a story of my mum and me and she's really um says terrible things to me you know yeah so so 14 year olds can get something out of this but also i've got some older yeah. ladies um from a very distinguished melbourne girls school who were alumni and who had this book club and what's interesting when older audiences read it is they feel immense sympathy for the mum character they say that teenage 16 year old yeah. is such a brat she's so ungrateful and she's so blinkered and clueless yes they're a bit like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a common complaint with YA, though. Adults reading YA, and they're like, oh my God, just make the damn decision. And you're like, remember what it was like to be 16? Like, yes, you yeah. can't like, make a decision. You're right. Yeah. And you're anxious. And you, yeah. But yeah, but see, that's the thing about a book like that is that you can read it. And I'm sure that people might read it when they're younger, and maybe they revisit it a few years later, mm. and their opinions change and stuff. And I think that's. That's sometimes the the great thing about revisiting books that you've loved when you're younger with fresh perspective because sometimes the way that you enjoy a book or what you think about a book totally depends on where you're at in your life. So maybe you've it's had true. children That's then so and then true. you think, oh, gosh, I really resonate with the mum character now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just never yeah. know. Yeah, totally. And oh, if we cool. could just briefly touch touch on Lorinda, like we've mentioned Lorinda a lot, and, and as I say, that's probably – I, I guess it's such a distinctive cover in my mind. Whenever I mm. see your name, I sort of I think of that oh. cover. Um, a picture. But oh, obviously, thank like it spawned so many things. I guess you had like the um, the short story collection that sort of went with it of other people's experiences, and now it's been made into a, a play as well. What's the process been like of seeing it adapted to the stage? Oh, it was wonderful. Um, I didn't get involved in the process because Petra and Diana were the producers and director uh, and Diana rewrote, uh, she, she adapted it into a script and I don't have any of those skills and I stayed out of it because you stay out of another person's artistic vision, especially if they're brilliant artists, so experienced in their own right like yeah. Petra and Diana. So my first totally. time seeing it was with the rest of the audience and it was wow, wonderful. That must have been amazing. Yeah. All the actors were Asian and they played all the roles, including the white roles. So it was a reversal of yellow face. Nice. Of course they didn't paint their faces <laughs> and do white face or anything, but 
it was to show that Asian Australians could play diverse roles, really diverse, you know, it was funny and it was, um, but what I found really different from my book was what an emotional impact it would have on me as a woman in her 40s, mainly because that main actress who looks 16, who acts 16 and is absolutely beautiful, um, was actually 40. I had no idea. I thought maybe she's 23 or 27 at the most. And she's oh channeled wow. a lifetime of rage and racism into her acting. <laughs> so when that yeah. 16-year-old schoolgirl speaks, um, she doesn't have a wisdom beyond her years. But what Diana did was, uh, at the end of the <clears throat> at the end of the play, she is a a woman who is um, older. So it's about 10 years. So she's a woman almost turning 30. And that last scene was the most powerful for me because, you know, (laughs) it was just, um, yeah, this woman who'd experienced um, a bit of hardship, uh, quite a bit of racism, and also being in a career, an actor that that you don't see many Asian faces. Yeah, it was so powerful Mm. that the book couldn't do because the, she doesn't grow up in the book. She finishes at 15 or 16. Yeah. 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 So quite amazing to see someone else taking it forward. That's what is so interesting about adaptations is like other people's interpretation and what they do and like what, how they change it or maybe, you know, update it or whatever. That must have been so interesting and so powerful to watch. Yeah, the changes were great. But it was some of my own dialogue that I cringed at. I thought, oh, please, I wish you'd change some of that. It's clumsy and stupid. <laughs> I think but that's always the way, isn't it, when you revisit yeah. old stuff, that even if you were super proud of it at the time, I think you just, in a, in a creative yeah. sense, like you will, because actually doing the work and you know writing multiple books you will improve so naturally when you look back you're like oh I could have done that like a little bit better or like if I was yeah, doing that again true, like, I, I would just you know and that's just the nature of art that's sometimes the thing. you can't it? go back and fix a book yeah. either like it's done it's done <laughs> you can that, never change true, it that's true Caitlin and maybe maybe that's why people do get involved with adaptations as well because they do want a chance to smooth out some of those things yeah, but it's always uh, often it ends badly. And I love yeah, the idea. I love the idea stories. of it being something that you get to then see for the first time as an yeah, audience I member. Like that too. Yeah, 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 that must yeah. have just been amazing and yeah, emotional. Did you did you think? Oh my gosh, I can't believe that this is a story that I wrote. Yeah, I did. I did because it was so. It was really excellent, and it, it was probably Diana and Petra's doing which made it so excellent for the stage I I don't have those skills you know I probably would have made it worse and and the actors would have been anxious and they told me afterwards that they were really grateful I didn't come for rehearsals at first they were worried that maybe I was offended but I just um didn't want to interfere and yeah yeah Uh, yeah, or make judgments yeah or see something that wasn't quite finished and put my two cents in so yeah, yeah, I left mm, it. Yeah. That's really <laughs> yeah. nice. Gosh. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it, with adaptations? It's like, you know, whether it's a stage play or a TV show or a movie, it's such a different medium to a book. It really is yeah. a completely different yeah. set of skills yeah. that, yeah, that most authors don't have which is fair enough because they have the author skills (laughs) yeah yeah unless like some of our guests this season they were previously doing screenplays and are very very good at doing that and then yeah yeah so like in that case but but in that case so in that's Janice Hallett um in in that case she was telling us in the the interview as well that 
you know, she's treating the adaptation in a different way to the book. It's like, it's almost like a bit of a companion. Mm -hmm. It's told in a different way because you can't tell the same story in exactly the same same way. way. They're two different formats. Because the format is different. Mm. Yeah. 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 It's fascinating. It's like um, the Harry Potter and the Half-Blood. No, no, sorry. Harry Potter and where he grows up. Oh yes! Yeah. Did yeah. you see that one? Yeah. The stage yeah. play. Child. You saw Have it, you, Caitlin? It's so different, I've seen it. isn't yeah. it? I really liked yeah, it. Did you like it? I I loved it. I <laughs> Me loved, too. Yeah. Like theatre and musicals <clears throat> and things, and seeing it on stage with like the way that obviously you know picturing it when you're reading those books or yeah. you know special effects and CGI and things in movies is amazing. But the theatre magic oh, they pulled magic, off with that show it? was <clears throat> incredible. I don't oh, was, and it had emotional it. depth to it. It was beautiful. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was so beautiful to watch. It was. It was amazing. Well, yeah. we were, we were going <laughs> to ask you all about your journey to publishing, Alice, but I think we've run out of time because we're talking about so talking long enough. You might, you might be <laughs> so the we only... We talked about such interesting things. You, you might may be the only <clears throat> author that we haven't asked, how did you get your publishing deal, actually? That's our usually our key question, and we haven't asked you that. Uh, oh, there's been too much other so stuff much, to talk so much about. Yeah. Talk about We'll have to have you back another time and we can go back again later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, oh, that yeah. sounds lovely. Thank you for having me on. It's been such a fun evening. Oh, I'm so glad. It's been so delightful. Can you can you let us know um, or let our listeners know where they can find you online and, um, you know, how they can get in touch with you if they want to talk to you? Oh, yeah, of course. I just have a website, which is alicepoom.net. Um, I, I, there's a fake website. That's not mine, but it's alicepoom.net. I have no idea what that, why someone's masquerading as alicepoom.com, um, but that's not me. And you'll find me quite easily because it's, it's linked to the Wikipedia page. And um, you can contact me through the website, which goes straight to my email. Lovely. And sorry, I'm awesome. not on um, Instagram and things like that. Oh, no. I just oh, have three kids. It's, okay. it's, a, it's quite busy. You're, you're way too busy for that. Kind of, that's okay. You're too busy yeah. doing all their amazing book week <clears throat> costumes to, you know, be, yeah. be on Instagram. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> yeah, it's too hard to, to do that yeah. kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I really I really hope that um, next time as well they they are happy to wear the, the costumes, like, once they get to school. Oh, I don't well, That costume is amazing, though. They'll themselves. Yeah. Oh, because yeah. I'm not going to buy them a Kmart costume. They'll make it themselves <laughs> or they'll have to wear whatever I yeah. turn up with. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good. That's a good idea. Yeah, that's a good idea. I love that. Yeah. We've had so much fun chatting to you. Thank you so, oh, thank so you. much. Thank you. Um, and yeah, thank Millie you Mac so much, is, Caitlin. Is out now, and yes. if you're in the UK, 100 Days will be out in hardback in November. So you, you should definitely get it. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Michelle. Thank you so much, Caitlin. Have a great evening. Thank you, thank you for listening to Better Words. You can chat to us on Instagram at betterwordspod. And follow me, Michelle, at Unfinished Bookshelf. And me, Caitlin, at Just a Bookish Babe. If you liked this episode, please share it with a book-loving friend and leave a rating or review. Mm -hmm.